And before I get into the message, I kind of want to defend <laughs> the topic a little bit. Um, you know, perhaps some of us might be tempted to think, uh, is this really like a, you know, prosperity gospel kind of message? Is this an unspiritual topic? Did you know the word happy in the Bible, in the King James, occurs 25 times? 25 times in the Bible. The word joy occurs 155 times. So God is really wanting us to instruct us about how to be happy and how to have joy. But also, uh, a good question is, I think as Adventists, we have a particular message, and we need to stay uh, razor-focused on that message. God has put us here for a very specific purpose, and we need to fulfill that purpose. And so a good question is, how does this topic relate to advancing the three angels' message? Who knows what the first angel's message is? Fear God and what? Give glory to him. So one of the major focuses of the three angels' message is to give God glory. To give him glory. And you know what, friends? A sour, disgruntled Christian does not give God glory. They don't. But you know what? There's a lot of them out there. One of the biggest complaints I hear from people who are looking for, for a new church is they weren't even nice. They weren't even nice. I went in there, I left, no way. They weren't even nice. Uh, I love this quote from Ministry of Healing, page 470. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Have you ever met a loving, lovable Christian and it just attracted you to the faith? I have, it's wonderful. And sour pusses are neither loving nor lovable. And you know, to be honest with you, friends, some, there are some Seventh-day Adventist church members that are about as lovable as a cactus tree. And I, that's kind of a joke, but it, it's true. There are some that are they're just disgruntled individuals. They're not happy. They're not nice. And friends, to truly reflect God, you have to be happy. You have to have joy in your life. Amen? And so we're going to talk about that. And as we get to the meat of this message, you're going to see this is no prosperity gospel message. So... What is happiness? Well, the verdict is in. The evidence is really clear. The conclusions of probably hundreds of psychological studies have found, and all the evidence points to one direction, that happiness is based on your beliefs. Happiness is based on your beliefs. And Though the evidence points this way, the majority of people do not notice this. Do you know what the common person thinks happiness is based on? Guess. Feelings. Uh, okay, feelings, money, you're kind of getting there. What else? Go, go, go broader, zoom out, zoom out. Your spouse, your job. What is that? Your stuff, your circumstances. Where you live, where you work, how much money you make, how good-looking you are, or at least how good-looking you think you are, you know? Circumstances. Everyone thinks happiness is based on circumstances, yet the evidence is very clear. No, that's not true whatsoever. And if you think happiness is about circumstances, then you have already bought into one of the biggest lies about happiness. And has very little to do with your circumstances. Happiness is all about beliefs. Beliefs. And it's what you believe about your circumstances. Very, very different. And you know, the proof really is so obvious. You know what the proof is? We really don't need those hundreds of psychological studies to tell us this. 
because we have lots and lots of people that have all the things that everyone thinks would make you happy, and yet they're some of the most miserable people out there. We're talking about musicians. We're talking about actors. We're talking about producers. We're talking about sports stars, models, wealthy business owners, people who have what everyone thinks would qualify happiness, and they are absolutely miserable. Jeff Bezos, owner of Amazon, gentleman who has a salary in the billions, just recently got divorced. I don't know how many of you have heard that. It's very sad, very sad. I mean, I think he's been recently called the most wealthy person in the world. Just, just split. How happy was that home? Think about it. They, they no longer want to be together. Madonna was quoted as saying, my misery is as deep as my joy. Miserable person in, in her private life. Michael Jackson was obviously a very tortured individual. Everybody could see it. It was just so clear. King of pop, I mean, just the epitome of what the entertainment industry looks for, yet miserable, not a happy individual. O.J. Simpson, uh, very successful football player. He was uh, stated after he kind of semi-retired, he would sit at home in Buffalo, New York. He said, I was just so bored. I was just so bored. I was just miserable. I was totally miserable. This guy who was worshipped by the, the NFL and the sports world, Robin Williams, killed himself. That is tragic, friends. Tragic. A very successful career as a comedian. Took his life. <coughs> Spent his career making people laugh. Took his own life. And then many of these teen stars, shortly after their teen careers, you know where they end up? In a psychiatric ward. Lindsay Lohan, you could just go down the list. It's, it's bizarre. And the list goes on. You know, um, we're self-employed and we have our own business and so I follow some business people who I, I subscribe to their newsletters and I like to hear what they have to say. And uh, one of them is a gentleman by the name of Noah Kagan and he's built uh, a really great business. It's a seven-figure business and he's invited to speak at a lot of these business conferences and so forth. And he put up a really interesting graph. I was watching him talk at a conference and he put up a really interesting graph and had two lines. And it was you know, one of those graphs where you know, the lines go like that. And one line went like this, and the other line kind of went that and went down. And he said, that top line, the one that generally goes up, he says, do you guys know what that is? That's my income. That's as the business grew, that's my income. And you can see it just you know, was generally trending up quite high. He says, do you guys know what that second line is? Guess, guess. People were like, oh, well, you know, was it your, your profit margin? Was it your this? Was it your that? It's something that just was really out of place and interesting. He goes, that's my happiness. And people were like, what? And they had no correlation whatsoever. It was really interesting. He actually, he's, this really, he's really into data and tracking data and all this stuff. He tracked his happiness over the years. Like, he like, would give it scores. And, and there were times where his money went up and the happiness down and he was like that's my happiness in relation to how much money I made and that there was no correlation whatsoever between those two graphs it was it was fascinating do we really need more evidence than that and on top of this we have so many studies and on top of that we have our own lives and what we're going to do is we're going to look at six happiness beliefs from Scripture six and if you want to be happy if you have all six of these beliefs you will be one of the happiest people you know. Now, did I say your financial troubles would vanish? Did I say all your problems would just disappear? No, they won't. 
But I guarantee you, you will be one of the happiest people you know. You will be extremely happy in spite of your circumstances. And um, some people have some of these beliefs, but the idea is, is that the more that you have, the happier you're going to be. So this is a two-part message. This part, we're going to cover the first three uh, happiness beliefs, and the second part, we'll cover the last three. Let's get into the very first happiness belief. Happiness belief number one. I could talk about this one a long time, but I'm not going to have you here all day. I am not a victim. Happiness belief number one. I am not a victim. Friends, believing you're a victim is probably the fastest way I'm aware of to send you down to the road of depression. I'm serious. It is the quickest way to drag you down super fast. As soon as you believe, as soon as you buy into the concept, I'm a victim, you have got on the Autobahn of depression and you are speeding down at warp speed. You are going to go down fast as soon as you believe I am a victim. Because a, a victim, by definition, victims are helpless. Victims are hopeless. Uh, victims have experienced total loss, irreparable loss. That is a victim, by definition. They cannot recover what they have lost. And it is impossible, do you hear the word I used? Impossible, friends, to heal as long as you identify yourself as a victim. Forget healing, it is not going to happen. It is impossible for you. Because in your mind's eye, you are a, a loser. You have suffered irreparable loss. But I've seen over and over, healing happens, friends, when you move people from being a victim to being a victor. That's where healing happens. When you move from being a victim to a victor. When you move from being a loser over to a gainer. That's where healing takes place. You know, I have personal experience with this. Um, when I lost my mother due to autoimmune disease, and then five months later I found out I had the same disease, it felt very natural to feel like I was a victim. It felt very natural. And there were several solid years where I really could not work that much because I was trying to recover. And those were years of trial for me. They were. And during that time period, I started spending about an hour in prayer every morning. I always prayed, but I, I essentially I doubled my prayer time is what I did during that time. I had the extra time and I really felt like I needed to do that at that time. And many of the concepts I'm going to share with you through this message actually came to me through those hours of prayer. Uh, God spoke them to me during those times. Not, I haven't created them, they're not new, but God uh, brought those concepts to me. Um, and as many of you know, God intervened and we learned a five-step protocol that put my autoimmune disease into remission, praise the Lord. And uh, we wrote a book about how we did it, and we have it on our website, reverseautoimmune.com. And uh, every month, thousands of people are coming to reverseautoimmune.com. A lot of people are learning this, and we actually get testimonies from people who are putting this protocol into practice, and they're actually reversing their autoimmune symptoms. So it's uh, so encouraging. You know, what a waste of time it would have been for me to be sad during those years when God was actually doing a good thing. Think about that. What a waste of time it would have been. God's doing a good thing, and I would just, what if I just wasted it, feeling like a victim the whole time? But we're going to look at a Bible character that, according to human standards, had every right to consider himself a victim. If you could think of a Bible character besides Jesus that is like the poster child of suffering, who would you say that is? Job. All right, Job, you nailed it. Let's turn to the book of Job. The last Bible character anyone ever wants to identify themselves with. 
Job chapter 1, we'll start in verse 13. Verse 13 it says, And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse 16. Yet while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only alone, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse 17. And while he was yet speaking, there, also, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine at their, in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am, es and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Let's pause there. How many would feel like a victim? You'd feel like a victim, wouldn't you? I mean, who wouldn't? And let's face it, friends. If we drop our toast, and it lands on the jelly side and not the bread side, you feel like a victim, don't you? Oh, why me? Why does this always have to happen to me? Here is Job. He's lost everything in such a quick amount of time. And he had every right, according to human standards, he had every right to feel like a victim. And so the really incredible thing is that no one in history had more reasons to declare themselves a victim, and yet he didn't. Job is a really incredible character. Friends, he's, he's really amazing. Now, let's, let's look at these verses. What about, what, what about these afflictions seems to indicate that this isn't normal, that he's actually being picked on by God? I'm going to hear some of your thoughts. What about these afflictions? All right, so the timing of the afflictions, they all happened when? One right after another. Is that coincidence? I mean, you know, one of these tragedies happens maybe in a person's entire lifetime where they lose everything or they lose their kids. But seriously, four within like a minute? Doesn't seem like coincidence. What else? There, there's plenty of clues here. Look at the verses. What about these tragedies? Strikes you as, you know, this isn't normal. What about the fire from heaven? Is that, what was that? Supernatural. Fire coming from heaven, a great wind. Who's ever heard about wind and just, you know, knocking the walls out of a house? It happens during tornadoes, but just a random act. The, the, the afflictions seem supernatural in nature. And also the number of them as well. Yeah. Fire from heaven. All these attacks upon my Everything seemed to indicate. You are getting picked on by God. And you know, whenever you say you're a victim, what you're essentially saying is, if you take that logically to its end, you're saying, I'm, getting, I'm being picked on by God. Because these are things, I couldn't control the circumstance, humans couldn't control the circumstance. Who, where does the buck stop? It's God's fault. I'm, getting, I'm a victim, I'm getting picked on by 
God. No one had more evidence in the history of humanity of being picked on by God or feeling like they were picked on by God. But notice what Job did. Verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head. Did he feel great? No, he was afflicted. And he fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Friends, that is incredible. That is just absolutely amazing. Job is an incredible character in the Bible. Now, there is something about what Job says, specifically in verse 21. He reveals what the secret is to protect us from becoming victims. Specifically, it's in verse 21. Any thoughts? What is it about what Job says in verse 21? That's the secret that protects us from becoming victims. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Yeah. Nothing was mine anyways. Does Job feel that he deserves to be treated nicely? He doesn't feel that way. He, there is zero entitlement in Job. Zero. Absolutely none. He does not feel that God owes him a certain standard of living. Friends, this is a secret to protect you against one of the worst scourges, mental scourges, and that's the scourge of considering yourself a victim. You know, um, one time Jennifer and I were packing up uh, for a trip we were about to take, and uh, it just wasn't going well. We couldn't find things that we needed, and, um, you know, we told ourselves, you know, this trip, we're going to go to bed early before we have to wake up and, you know, leave on a plane the next morning and we things weren't working out and it was getting later and later we're like oh great there's another trip or we're going to bed late right before an early plane ride you know we're going to start it this way again you know and we can't find stuff and remember we're looking under our bed and as we're trying to find a certain you know different things things are falling out of their place and it was just annoying it was just really annoying and i was so tempted to feel like a victim and the thought went through my head man i don't deserve this but something really weird happened. As soon as I thought that, another thought rushed into my mind, and it said, you're right, you deserve much worse. <laughs> and I was like, it just made so much sense to me. It was just like, you know, it was, it's true. It's true. And you know, according to scripture, what do you deserve? Yeah. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is yeah. death. That's what the Bible says. Do we have any sinners in here? All of us, all of us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so according to Scripture, we deserve to die. You do not deserve to be on this side of the ground, according to Scripture. God does not owe us anything, friends. He does not owe us anything. Anything He gives us is from a heart of mercy and benevolence. Job's attitude, it seems extreme, doesn't it? It's actually appropriate. It's actually fitting. It makes sense when you understand this. And so when you're having one of those very testing days, maybe one of those days you got up late for absolutely no reason, you just happen to get up late. As you're walking out your house, stuff is falling out of your hands and you're dropping things. And you're late for work and the very day you need it to be you know, smooth traffic, it's the worst traffic. 
When you're having one of those days and you're tempted to say, man, I don't deserve this, say, you know what? You're right. I deserve much worse. When work is challenging and nothing's going right and your job's harder because your coworkers aren't doing their job right and you're tempted to say, I don't deserve this, say, you know what? That's right. I deserve a lot worse. When you're losing your health and you can't sleep full nights and you're experiencing pain and your life is limited and you feel tempted to say, I don't deserve this, remember, you're right. I deserve a lot worse. It sounds morbid, but it's actually so free. Friends, this is how we release ourselves from being a victim. This is how you es escape the snare of victimhood. I guarantee you will feel so much better because what it does is it immediately transfers you from being a victim to a victor. You're not being persecuted anymore. You're actually, I'm just blessed to have a car to get to work. I'm just blessed to have a job to be late to. I'm just blessed to have coworkers. I'm just blessed to be living. I'm blessed to have food. All this stuff, it's, it's extra benefits that I don't deserve. I deserve what happened to Jesus on the cross. According to scripture, that's what I deserve. But I get to have a job. I get to have a car. I get to have a family. I get to have people who are close to me that annoy me sometimes. I get to have that stuff. It's a blessing. And it immediately takes us from the loser category to the winner category. You're getting so much more than, you, than, you, than we deserve. The Bible says, the Lord hath not rewarded us according to our iniquities. Isn't that true? But not one of us would be here if that was true. I saw a funny t-shirt one day a gentleman had. The t-shirt said, some days you're the pigeon, some days you're the statue. <laughs> you ever have one of those statue days? It just seems like life is coming down on you. If you think about it, when we compare it with Job, could it be, now this is interesting, could it be that the days when everything seems calculated to annoy that we're actually just in the same situation Job was in? Think about that. Could it be that if we could pull back the veil that separates the physical from the spiritual world, we would see Satan standing there pointing at us saying, Jehovah, this Adventist here, it's a fake. It's a fake. The only reason why they do the things they do is because you put a hedge around them, you bless them, you protect them, afflict them a little bit. You'll see, they'll curse you to your face. Maybe if we could pull back the veil, we would see the demons that have an accurate record of our sins. We could see Satan himself accusing us before the Lord, before the angels. The testimonies actually say this is actually exactly what happens. This is no uh, fabricated story. This is no fairy tale. This takes place. Could it be that those days when everything's calculated to annoy, we're just in Job's situation and we have an opportunity to vindicate God's character? It gives a lot more meaning to those annoying days, doesn't it? Paints it in a completely different light. And could you even take it to the next step and say, you know what? I need this. I need this. I have a problem with my patience. I have a problem with getting annoyed and irritated easy. I need this opportunity to make a change. Could you even take it to the next step? You know, that would take you from being a loser to a winner, wouldn't it? That would, take you, that would take you from being a victim to someone who's being provided a wonderful opportunity for victory. How different that would be. It would just change everything. So happiness belief number one, I am not a victim. I'm not a victim. Does anyone want to say that with me? It's such a wonderful thing. Let's say it together. I am not a victim. Amen. Amen. That's happiness belief number one. Happiness belief number two. I don't exist to be happy. 
I exist to love and obey God. That's happiness belief number two. I don't exist to be happy. I exist to love and obey God. Let's see that from scripture. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Just one of these incredible uh, concepts of scripture where things are, seem to be turned out of their place. When you lose your life, when you give up my way, my purpose, making sure I'm happy and taking care of me, when you give that up, you actually get your life. When you spend your whole life making sure I'm going to get what I want, I'm going to look out for number one, I'm going to take care of me, you lose your life. That's exactly what this scripture is stating. And uh, Jesus, incredibly wise words. So the idea is happiness never comes by seeking it. Now that's now that, does that help you understand why happiness is so elusive to so many people? It's counterintuitive, right? Happiness does not come by seeking it. Imagine you wanted to, this summer, go into the foothills and look for gold, and you wanted to get into, you know, gold digging and all that stuff, and that little hobby, and you bought a book about how to find gold. And you got the book, you open it up, and it said four words. Stop looking for it. You're like, can I get a refund, please, you know? That doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive, right? I get gold by not looking for it. Happiness seems to be the same way. The main way to be happy is by not making the focus of your life to be happy. You will never be happy if if you make being happy the whole point of your life. Let me say it another way. Those who spend their lives trying to be happy will never truly be. It's counterintuitive. Now, why? This is kind of a strange concept, right? It's because happiness is a byproduct. Happiness is the byproduct of doing the will of God. Who's the author of happiness? God is, right? He's the one who defines it. And happiness was never meant to be a destination in of itself. It was never meant to be an end point. God designed happiness to be the result of doing the right thing. It's a reward. Happiness is a reward. It's not a destination. It's a byproduct, friends. It's a benefit. Let me share something from the pen of inspiration. My life today, 166. Only by following Christ's example can we find true happiness. When he is accepted, the heart is subdued and its purposes, notice, its purposes are changed. What's the purpose? What does everybody want? They just want to be happy. When you accept Christ in your heart, you actually should have a different goal. Because remember, he who tries to save his life shall lose it. He who gives his life up will find it. You have a different purpose. It's not to make me happy. It's to serve God. It's to love him. It's to obey him, to serve him. That's the goal. That is the essence of my being. That's what I get up to do because I'm a Christian now. And the incredible thing is, when you make your life that way, you're going to be happy. That's the amazing thing. You'll get, you'll get happiness when you do that. It says also, his service, will be, his service will place upon you no restriction that will not increase your happiness. That's a double negative. Let me say it in the positive sense. God won't place a restriction on you that will decrease your happiness. All the restrictions increase happiness. In complying with his requirements, you will find a peace, contentment, and enjoyment that you can, listen, never have in the path of sin. When we place our, when we place our lives in God's hand and 
subject ourselves to his restrictions. Does God have restrictions? He does. It's, it's very clear. We actually will have a happiness that we could never have if we pursued a life of sin. Real happiness is found only in being good and doing good. The purest, highest enjoyment comes to those who faithfully fulfill their appointed duties. Just groundbreaking when it comes to happiness and the way the world looks at it. And then Our High Calling, page 152, never will the human heart know happiness until it is submitted to be molded by the Spirit of God. He who loses his life will find it. He who tries to save his life will lose it. Do you want to be happy? I do. I want to be happy. I'll just be honest with you. I, I want to be happy. Stop seeking after it. Don't make it the point of your life. That's what, really what you want. And the wisest man, uh, Solomon, second to Christ, after his decades of being a genius, do you know how he summed up everything? I really appreciate this because he summed it up in just one wonderful verse for us. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. I'll just read it to you. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, love him. The wisest man said, everything will follow after that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. If you want to be happy, stop pursuing it. Stop asking yourself, what would make me the happiest? And start asking, what would please God the most? What does God want? What's the Lord want me to do here? And if you start doing this, the incredible thing is you will be happy. It will come to you, friends. You'll find it. Not because of your circumstances, but in spite of your circumstances. So point number two, happiness principle number two. I don't exist to be happy. I exist to love and obey God. These are, how, these are the, the secrets of Scripture and how to be happy, friends. Okay, our third one. Very similar. I exist to bless others. Happiness principle number three. I exist to bless others. Did you know Jesus told us how to be happy? Let's go to John chapter 13. John 13, starting in verse 14, it says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Notice verse 17. If you know these things, then what, friends? Happy are ye if ye do them. Did Jesus tell us how to be happy? He did. You know, you ask pastors, ask a pastor, an Adventist pastor, communion Sabbaths, more people or less people? You know what they're going to tell you? It's always less. People avoid communion Sabbath because I don't want to wash my brother's feet, you know? What if he's got fungus or I don't know, whatever. I just, it's humiliating. I don't want to do that. I'll, I'll go to the, you know, the church down on the other side of town. They don't want to do it. But what did Jesus say about foot washing and the attitude of service? That's how to be happy. <laughs> they're avoiding happiness Sabbath is what they're doing. Isn't that bizarre? It's, it's, uh, it's too bad. And why does service make you happy? It takes your thoughts off of who? takes your thoughts off yourself. And really, you start helping other people, you get into other lives, and you're like, man, I do not have problems compared to other people. Really, they just, your problems just shrink when you start helping other folks. And honestly, there's just a joy in helping other people. There's a joy, there's a blessing that cannot come any other way. 
According to Jesus, what's better, to give or receive? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You know, I find it really interesting to see Ellen White's comments about invalids. Does everybody know what an invalid is? Someone who can't take care of themselves, they're sick. It's very interesting to see her comments about invalids. She says, essentially, I'll paraphrase, get them doing as much as they can do. If they could lift their hand and write letters, lift your hand and write letters. If they could open their mouth and talk on the phone, oh, well, she didn't say that, obviously. But you know, if they could open their mouth and talk to people, do that. If they could get out in the garden, oh, by all means, get them into the garden. Specifically, she says, get them in the garden. Get them busy. Do anything to take their minds off of themselves. You know, if you ever go through psych ward, and I actually haven't, but I've talked to people who have worked there and who have, these people are, obviously, they're, they're mentally unstable, they're out of their minds. They'll let you know these people are the most selfish people you will ever meet in your entire life. Some of them are so selfish, they actually identify everyone as a genre, a, a persona of them. So the nurse isn't the nurse, the nurse is a persona of them. The janitor isn't the janitor, he's a persona of them. That's how focused they are. People aren't even people, they're just another version of them. And the most mentally unstable people in the world are the most selfish people, the most self-focused people in the world. We were talking about loneliness earlier. Um, and it's so important to get out and to interact with people. Do something to take your mind off yourself. Review and Herald, May 2nd, 1907. It is a life of service only that true happiness is found. It is in a life of service only that true happiness is found. You know, if you've been thinking, why aren't I really that happy lately? If you've been having any of these thoughts, a good follow-up question would be, how much service have you been giving? How much people have you been serving? I mean, just for the sake of serving, you know, not because you had to, because I have kids and I have to feed them. That's service, but I mean, disinterested kind of service. Yeah, I called it the benevolent ministry. How much of that have you been doing? And you may see a correlation between how much service you've been doing or not doing and the amount of happiness you have or haven't been having. Proverbs 14, 21 says, He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Want to be happy? Have mercy on the poor. Take care of folks that have less than you. That's how you get it, according to Scripture. And a life of heartfelt service is a happy life. So, how happy are you? So, let's, let me summarize. This is our happiness points, happiness belief summary. Happiness belief number one, I am not a what? I am not a victim. Happiness belief number two, I don't exist to be happy. I exist to love and obey God. Then our last happiness belief for today, number three, I exist to bless others. Friends, you incorporate these things into your life, you're going to be a really happy person. It's a pro scripture, all the scripture is banking on it. You're going to be a very happy individual. <laughs> Lastly, I'd like to talk about uh, beliefs. Because beliefs are tricky. It doesn't seem like they would be, but beliefs are actually kind of tricky. And it's because we say we believe things that when it comes down to it, we actually don't. Um, when you work in ministry and you have the privilege of spending a lot of time with a lot of different people, uh, you realize that people say they believe things all the time that they really don't. And you know, as I use this experience to reflect on my own life, I see the same thing. What you truly believe in isn't revealed by what you say, but it's revealed by what you do. 
That's what you really believe. And you know, I meet people all the time that they say they believe in spending quality time with their families, and they don't do it. I meet people all the time that believe in being honest, and they're dishonest frequently. They believe in being generous, but they're not generous. They believe in being nice, but they're not always nice. So it's not about what we say we believe, it's what we do. That exposes our true beliefs. And this is why it's fuzzy, is because we can't trust what we say we believe as an accurate indicator of what you actually believe. You know, that's why there's something called an investigative judgment. That's why we have to do this. Not all who profess to be of Israel are of Israel. And, uh, you know, if I could just summarize 1844 really quick. 1844, the whole purpose, investigative judgment, all that complicated theology, is to make sure there's no hypocrites in heaven. That's 1844, to make sure there's no hypocrites in heaven. And you know what the practical application is? It's God's work of making sure you're not one of those hypocrites. God trying to make sure that's not you. He's working, he's doing everything he can, working day and night to make sure that's not us. So beliefs are tricky. And you know, when we realize this, we realize there's a difference between what you think you should believe and what you actually believe. Yea, there's even a difference between what you want to believe and what you actually believe. There could be a difference. So how do I know if this is so mysterious? How do I know what I actually believe? A concept does not start becoming a belief until it starts affecting what you do. That's when something is a true belief. Something you really believe when it starts getting incorporated into your heart to the point where it starts affecting your life, the way your life looks. That's a real belief. And when you understand this, friends, you realize, I need God's help even to believe the truth. I need God's help even to believe. Because I, 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 you know, if it's understood in the context of my life being changed, I need God for that. And that's what true believing is. And so God wants us to believe in a way where it actually is changing our lives, not just changing the words that come out of our mouth. And this actually adds a lot of significance to that verse. Remember that man that said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my what? Help my unbelief. Doesn't, don't you understand that in a different way? Can't you relate to that? Yeah, I believe, but it's not really translating to my life yet. Help my unbelief. I must have some unbelief at a certain point. And that's really exactly it. We believe to a point. That's it. When our beliefs only go so far. We believe until. We believe until. We believe God is in control until I lose my job. We believe God is a God of love until I lose a family member in a tragic accident. We believe until, friends. Not just period. And you know, um, I don't have the statement here. You may be familiar with it. Ellen White talks about what the ceiling of God is. That the ceiling of God is a settling into the truth. And sometimes that, that confused me when I first read it because I thought, well, what does that mean? You either believe the Sabbath or you don't, right? You, you either believe the state of the dead or you don't. But when I started unpacking this, I realized, ah, that's what it means. It's a settling into the truth where you believe, not until you believe, period. The point of the ceiling is to take away the word until. That's the, that's the whole point of the ceiling, to take away the word until. You believe God is good regardless. He's just good, no matter what comes. I believe God is in control regardless. No matter what happens, that's my firm belief, and it's not changing no matter what takes place. And so there's two ways God helps us believe. The first, by teaching us to reaffirm our beliefs constantly. Did you know you have to reaffirm your beliefs constantly, your Christian beliefs? Uh, many of these happiness beliefs, I don't know if you noticed, they're very unnatural for us. They're very unnatural. They don't, 
It's not part of your normal thoughts. If you just let your thoughts go, you wouldn't normally think this way. You wouldn't normally think, let me give up my life, and that's probably how I'll be happy. You wouldn't think that you're not a victim. It's very natural to think those things. And so we have to deal with these old ways of thinking. You have habits, patterns of thinking. You have to deal with those. And so your beliefs need to be constantly reaffirmed. You need to constantly reaffirm those. And scripture even gives us an indication of how often that ought to be. David said, evening, morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. I've been incorporating this into my life because I find in the morning, I believe God's in control. And by about 2 o'clock, when it works really hard, that belief starts becoming really challenged. And I start borderline freaking out because things aren't going the way that they, I planned that they would or that I expected that they would. And the website broke down. And oh, no, no all these people, are, I'm going to be getting all these emails. The customers are going to be upset because this isn't working. And that God is in control belief starts getting really challenged. We have to constantly reaffirm our beliefs. And this obviously starts with a morning devotional. You know, uh, sometimes I take it for granted that because I'm in Adventist church, everyone has a morning devotion. But I don't know. I don't know that. Maybe you don't. I would just like to challenge you. You must have a morning devotion, friends. It, I don't know how to explain it so plainly. It, it's like going to play basketball without a basketball. You have to have a morning devotion. It's like, you know, going to the Indy 500 without your race car. I mean, it's just part, it's, it's the basics. You must start every morning with God. But here's where I'd like to challenge you additionally. Set two prayer alarms. And you don't have to pray a super long time. 30 seconds. Prayer alarm for 30 seconds. Set one for noon and sometime in the afternoon. Maybe 4 o'clock. Maybe 5. Maybe 6. Whatever works best for your schedule. Set two prayer alarms. Have your morning devotion. Set two prayer alarms. And I've been doing this for a while now. And friends, it helps me so much. And one thing that I'm startled by, and I, it never ceases to amaze me, is that when I come time to that noon time of prayer, or that evening time of prayer, and I stop, I just stop all the work, I just call myself and I kneel and pray, I just see my thoughts, I, I feel myself, I feel how tense my shoulders are, I feel how uptight I've gotten, all the way, just only till noon, I'm already super uptight, and it's just, it's really incredible to me. Set two prayer alarms. And then the next way God helps us believe is by testing our beliefs. And we talked about this a little bit with Job. Trials are your opportunity to take your beliefs to the next level. You know, we believe God is good until. It's, trials are the opportunity to take that until and scoot it down the line just a little bit further. So the next time you're in a trial, don't be upset. Don't even think it's strange. God is giving you the opportunity to believe. Is giving you the opportunity to deepen your beliefs. And the more you believe, the happier you're going to be. It's actually an opportunity to increase your happiness. Is that not counterintuitive? Is that how the world looks at trials, at disasters? But biblically, that's how we should. We need to train our minds to think this way because it's not natural. And so as we close this morning, I would like to make a very, very specific appeal. This might not apply to everyone, but this is my specific appeal. And it has to do with probably, for most of us, probably your phones. My appeal is, is there anyone who would like to make the decision to set two prayer alarms? One for noon, one for sometime in the afternoon. Set it on your phone. When it goes off, doesn't have to be a long time, pray for 30 seconds. Is that something you'd like to do? If that is your decision, and you don't have to feel guilty if it's not your decision, but if it is your decision, friends, 
Let's raise your hand. If you're really going to do it, you're really going to do it, raise your hand. Set a prayer alarm. Praise God. Evening, morning, and at noon. Amen. Amen. And God wants us to be happy. Does God want us to be happy? Yeah, but we can't do it in the human way, can we? We have to do it His way. His program, His will, His way. And His way is by realizing you're not a victim. You're blessed to be this side of the ground. You're blessed to have car. You're blessed to have food, relationships, this church to worship in. And also realizing that uh, we are not losers, friends. We're gainers. And that we don't exist to be happy. We exist to serve and bless God. And we exist to bless others. You incorporate these. If these become your actual beliefs, you're going to be happy. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.